This tape's going to be about the judgment seat of Christ. Have you ever stopped to think about what's going to happen when you stand before the king of the universe one day? Can you imagine yourself even right now if you had been sent out to do a job even by a good president or something, uh, a person in high authority that knew you very well and that had sent you out to do a job and you'd been out to given a job and had been out there for two, three, four, five, or ten years out in the field and now then he's bringing you home to judge you, to uh, test all of your works, to see how good you have performed, to see if he keeps you with the company, to see if you have done a good job, uh, to see if you have gone above and beyond the call of duty, or if you've just been a normal employee, or what you've done. Can you imagine one day standing before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of Gods, for Him to judge you for what you've done for Him as a son or daughter of His kingdom here on this earth? When you stop and think about this, it's literally kind of scary because most of us, even as Christians, as we go through our life, we very rarely think about the judgment seat of Christ. In fact, it may very well be that some Christians don't even know there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ. But let's get a picture of who this king is, the Lord Jesus, of who we're going to stand before someday. Now I want us to turn to Revelations chapter 1 and I'm going to start reading here in verse 10 where Paul, I mean uh, John, was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and what happened to him. And now this is Revelations 1 verses 10 through 18. And John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Omega, and I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, 
I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades or hell and of death. Praise the Lord. That is the King, the Lord, the Jesus that we serve. Jesus is so much more awesome than we can even possibly conceive. He is magnificent. We need to learn to look and close our eyes and look into the third heaven and envision this magnificent king that we serve and who he is, the king that sustains the cosmos daily with his mighty spoken word. That's the king that we're going to stand before one day at the judgment seat of Christ. It's also called the Bema in Second Corinthians 5. Now we're going to read that. Now let's go on to Second Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul tells us about the judgment seat of Christ. Paul speaking here in Second Corinthians 5.10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And he's talking about Christians here, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Now then, because Christ has paid the price for our sins, the issue at the judgment seat of Christ is not punishment, but is to give us rewards. To receive rewards or not is the issue at the judgment for all Christians. Now how we serve God in heaven is being determined by how we live our life here on earth now. All who put their faith in Jesus will be in heaven. But some will receive great rewards. And some will receive no rewards at all. Some will enter into the joy of the Lord. And some will not. Think about that. Think of the Christian people that Satan has deceived. He's kept us so busy doing the things of the world, making a living and trying to produce enough money and, and resources to feed our family and drive a good car and live in a nice home and all those things that we literally have not been about the Lord's work. And one day when we stand in his presence, we will have no rewards. Thank you. You're only going to be here such a short period of time. Just a few years, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, or maybe 100 years. Very few people make it to 100. But regardless of how long you live, you want to make sure you are working for the Lord, doing things for Him, so that when you stand in His presence someday, He will be able to say, Well done, faithful servant. Now let's go over here to Matthew twenty-five, fourteen. And let's read this parable here about the kingdom of heaven. Now then, the Lord himself was speaking this in Matthew twenty-five fourteen, And he said, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Now this is a picture of what the Lord has done for us. And said, Unto one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent and to every man according to his several ability. And straightway he took his journey. 
Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two talents, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and dug in the earth, and he hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh back, and he reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought the other five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides them five more talents. His Lord said to him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. And isn't that wonderful? That's what we want to hear the Lord say, isn't it? And go on in verse 22. He also that had received the two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered under me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now just look at this. The one that had five or the one that had two, they did according to their abilities, and the Lord recorded, rewarded them bountifully. But let's look about this one that received one in verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not strode. And I was afraid. So I went and hid your talent in the earth. Lo, here is your talent. And his Lord answered and said unto him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I sowed not, and gathered where I have not strode. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money in the banks, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with interest. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, think about this. Because this man, this servant, was unfaithful and didn't do anything for the Lord, this man, was he was cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He didn't even get to go in. Now, I'm completely convinced that some Christians will lay up for themselves good things, and some will not, because I've known lots of Christians that just go out and work hard for the Lord. I mean, they're out there winning souls. They're teaching the Word of God. They're studying the Word of God. They're ministering to the poor. They're giving to the poor and the needy. They're ministering to the sick. They go to prisons and minister to people. They just go everywhere and do all kinds of things. So some of these people 
Some Christians are going to lay up for themselves good things. And some Christians don't do anything for the Lord. In fact, some of them just barely do go to church once in a while. So I don't think I would want to be in their shoes when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now let's go on down here in 1 Timothy 6, starting with verse 17, and let's see what the Lord has to say here. Now, Paul's telling Timothy, he says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. So as he's given us, he just told us here in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, 18, and 19, that when he gives us these good things, we are to use these very, very much so for his kingdom, and in so doing, we will lay up in store for ourselves a good foundation against the time to come, and so that we may lay hold of eternal life. Now then, there are five crowns that I've studied the Word of God. I've come up on five of these crowns, and it's so awesome. As you read about these wonderful crowns, I want to go over these with you. There's five crowns that the Bible talks about that we can earn while we are here on this earth. Now, you can only earn these rewards while you're here, and not after you get to heaven. You're to do this here. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, Paul was telling us here, and he says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. Now, he's talking about people doing things here on the earth that are struggling to obtain a crown, which is a corruptible crown. It'll pass away. But we are doing these things to obtain an incorruptible crown. In other words, the crown that we receive from the Lord will last forever. It'll, it will absolutely be one of our rewards when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now then, let's look at the second one of these crowns. Now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, we see, For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Look at there. There's a crown of rejoicing that we can receive at the Lord's coming. And then in 2 Timothy 4, 8, he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So, he tells us another crown. He tells us when it's going to be given to us. It's, they shall give unto us at that day, the day when the Lord returns, so we go through his judgment. And to not only to Paul only, but unto all of us that love and look for his appearing. We shall receive the crown of righteousness. 
Now then, in James chapter 1, verse 12, he says, James is telling us, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, because we know we're all going to be tempted. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Now then, the man that endureth temptation, not the man that falls to temptation. Now we're all going to be tempted in many ways, and all of us have failed at one time or another. But James tells us in James 1.12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. In other words, we don't yield to it. We overcome it by the power of the blood. For after we have been tried, we shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Isn't that an awesome thing? And then let's go on to, let's see this other crown here. This is an awesome. In 1 Peter 5, verse 1, uh, 2, 3, and 4, Peter tells us, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready man, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus, shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. Praise the Lord. Think about these five crowns. We got an incorruptible crown, a crown of rejoicing, a crown of righteousness. We got a crown of life, and we got a crown of glory. All of these five crowns are out there for you and I to receive if we will do the things that's required so that when the Lord appears and we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he will give us these if we have done the necessary things to earn them. Praise the Lord. Now let's go over here to 1 Corinthians 3.11 and let's read a little bit about this foundation that we're going to build on and how this uh, judgment seat is going to be done. Paul gives us quite a bit of insight here in 1 Corinthians 3, starting with verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So if you're trying to obtain your works or your rewards through some other foundation besides Jesus Christ, forget it. You have no foundation to build on. There is no other other than Christ. Verse 12 says, Now if anyone builds on this foundation, the foundation of Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or straw. Now you can build with any of those things. Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. 
Now, the fire of God is going to test each one of our works, and everything we've done will be laid bare before the Lord. Now, let's go on to verse 14 in 1 Corinthians 3. If anyone's work which he has built on, it endures, he will receive a reward. Now, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as though by fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? I'm going to stop here just a minute. I don't think most of us as Christians really realize that our bodies is the dwelling place or the temple of the Holy Spirit of the living God on this earth. Most of us, and are just like I used to be, I'm not so bad as I used to be, but praise God, I hope I'm getting better. But a long time ago, I didn't act like a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. I, didn't, I did a lot of things that didn't bring glory and honor to the Lord, and I am so grateful for His mercy and grace. But now that I have learned, because by reading scriptures like this one in verse 16, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul's telling us, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? That's kind of awesome when you stop and think about that. Verse 17, he says, If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So I would say we need to take pretty good care of this temple because if we start doing things that defile this temple, like if we start sinning, if we start committing adultery and all kinds of things, if we start defiling the temple of God, it says God will destroy us. In other words, he'll destroy our body which means very clearly that we could die early because of these crazy things we do. Now, verse 18 says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and again... The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Just think about that. The Lord even knows your thoughts. Even before you speak, he knows what your thoughts are. Verse 21 says, Therefore let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. I mean, that is absolutely awesome when you think about what he has given us here on this earth by the Holy Spirit living in us and us being the temple of God. He has literally given us all things. Now then, from all these verses we read, are you ready for this time in your life? When you will stand before the Lord to be judged for everything you have done? Everything. Everything since you became a Christian. Now, before you became a Christian, he was not holding those things against you. And when you come to Jesus and accepted him as your Lord and Savior, 
the blood of Jesus cleansed you from all unrighteousness and washed away all of your sins. Now it's time to start earning your rewards because you have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and you have been translated into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now then you're supposed to work to earn your reward so you'll have a great place in eternity. Can you imagine now? After what Jesus has done for me and you on the cross, I personally want to do all that I can for him while I'm here on this earth. Because I, I want to I want to do good work for the Lord. I want to serve the king. I, I want to do the things that he says like in uh Colossians 3.23, when the Lord says, Whatever you do on this earth, work at it with all of your heart as unto me and not unto man, because I will be the one that will give you your final reward. Lots of people, even Christians, you know, they do as little work as possible at work. They hide they don't go overboard to do good things. They just go to work in the morning. They grumble during the day. And they won't make sure they watch the clock to make sure they take off at exactly the right time and come back, you know, right time or maybe a few minutes late from lunch trying to just go through the day. But don't do that, folks, because what you're doing, the Lord is taking and keeping very good records and he knows everything you're doing. And He's going to be the one that's going to give you your final reward. So whatever you do, work at everything with all your heart. Now then, let's think about what the Lord... Let's just meditate on these verses here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. Let's just think about what the Lord said we are. Listen to what he said here. For we are God's fellow workers. Now, just listen to that. We are his workers. And then listen to what he says after that. Not only are we God's fellow workers, you are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on this foundation. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, st precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on, endures, you will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, you will suffer loss, but you yourself will be saved, yet as though by fire. As you think on these things, you will most definitely want to work hard for the Lord. Because as you work hard for Him, you are actually building your position of rank in the kingdom of heaven forever. Can you imagine being down here on this earth for a few years and we know here on this earth, if you go to school, you get a good education, and you work hard, and in the world standards, if you get to a fairly high position in life where you can provide good and comfor comfortably for your wife and your children 
and your all your needs are met, providing you're serving the Lord, is much better than those people that absolutely can't provide for themselves. They goof off, they don't go to school, they don't get an education, and they go through life with a minimum wage job. And some of them even wind up as bums or alcoholics or drug addicts and never do anything with their life. Now, there's, there's no comparison as to which one of those two I want to be. I don't want to be that person that makes no money and lives on Poverty Street. I want to work hard and have a good job and live in a nice home and provide well for myself and my family. But this is just a few years. Just a few years. Think about building your position of rank in eternity. Can you imagine when you get there, if you built no rewards here, and let's just use the term, let's say you were a street sweeper in heaven forever. Yes, that'd be better than going to hell. But can you imagine you could have been a general? You could have set, the Lord clearly says, tells us in Revelation 3.21, to those of us that overcome on the earth, he will allow us to sit with him in his throne in eternity. Uh, wow, can you imagine that? Sitting with the Lord in his throne and serving him up there? I want to be as far up there as I can get. I'm going to work as hard as I can for the Lord. I do not want to be ashamed to die when the day comes for me to die. I want to know I've done the best I could for the Lord. Now then, let's, when will this judgment take place? Well, let's, let's see what the Word of God says about this judgment. When will this judgment take place? It will take place when Jesus returns to catch us away in the air. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16, start with verse 27. The Lord says here, For I, the Son of mankind, shall come with my angels in the glory of my Father, and judge each person according to his deeds. Boy, that couldn't be no clearer, could it? And then in 1 Thessalonians 3:12, And may the Lord make your love to grow and overflow to each other and to everyone else, just as our love does toward you. Now this will result in your hearts being made strong, sinless, and holy by God our Father, so that you may stand before him guiltless on that day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns with all those who belong to him. Now see, here's a couple of places we found out that when this judgment is going to take place, it's going to take place when the Lord returns. Now we need to be very careful about how we do these things and how we judge people because the Word of God tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Lord told us, So be careful not to jump to conclusions before the Lord returns as to whether someone is a good servant or not. When the Lord comes, He will turn on the light so that everyone can see exactly what each one of us is really like. Deep down in our hearts, then everyone will know while we have been doing the Lord's work, at that time God will give to each one whatever praise is coming to him. Can you imagine that? He's going to turn on the light and everybody will know why we did all the things we did, whether we did them out of love, whether we did them out of 
selfish reasons or why we did these things. Wow, everybody will know that it's going to be some day when that judgment comes. So let's do everything we can to get ready for that day. Make sure we've confessed our sins. Make sure we're walking in obedience to the Word. Make sure we're going to church. Make sure we're tithing and worshiping and praising and studying the Word of God. Mm. How do we get ready to meet the Lord? According to Revelations 19, he says, Rejoice and honor Him, for the time has come for the wedding banquet of the Lamb, and His bride, that's us, has prepared herself. She is permitted to wear the cleanest and whitest and finest of linens. Now, fine linen represents the good deeds done by the people of God. Wow. You know, some of us will probably go to heaven in our salvation garment because we've not done anything for the Lord. Some of us have never led a person to Christ some of us have never even given a cup of cold water in his name. Some of us have never went and visited people when they were sick and afflicted. We never had time. Wow. And those people will go to heaven in their salvation garment. But others will be clothed in the finest linen. Who will determine what you will be wearing? You will. You will be the one to make that decision. If while you're here on earth, you make a decision to serve the Lord, study His Word, and go out and do these great and mighty uh, good deeds for the Lord and for His people, then if you'd make that decision, you will determine your position of rank in eternity. Now, when the Lord comes, what will the Lord be looking for in our lives? Well, again, let's see what the Scripture says. The Scripture says He will be a fruit inspector, he will be looking for fruit. Do you ever think about yourself as being a fruit bearer? Well, let's see what Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, 10, and 11 says. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Now, therefore, it says in verse 10, without offense. I'm telling you, folks, you can't live today without offenses coming to you. But whatever you do, don't receive them. Because if people do offend you and you receive them and you get offended at people, you will cut off your love walk and therefore you will cut off the answers to your prayers and you will cut off also these fruits of righteousness so whatever you do do not receive these offenses walk in love now maybe you've never thought of yourself as a fruit bearing tree growing in a field that does sound kind of strange isn't it but in first corinthians chapter 9 the lord told us here through the Apostle Paul, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and you are God's building. Isn't that amazing how he refers to us? You know, I think that most people are like myself. I never thought of God as a farmer, but it says he is. 
We are God's seal, and we are God's building. So he must be the farmer. Let's see what James 5, 7 says. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. See there? Even the scripture calls God a farmer. And he said, the farmer is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. What is the fruit of the earth? It's souls. That's why the Lord told us to go out and win souls into the kingdom. He said those that win souls are wise and they shall shine as the stars in the firmament forever. You ever dreamed of being a star? Well, don't go to Hollywood to become a star because even if you make it there on earth, you're only going to be a star for a little while. But in eternity, if you as a Christian will get out there and start doing good things for the Lord and winning people to Jesus, you will begin to build your position of rank in eternity and you, he says, you will become a star in his kingdom and you will shine as the stars in the firmament forever. You know, it's very important to the Lord that you bear much fruit. Do you think a farmer wants his field to bear much fruit? You know, I'm, I've done a lot of farming in my life, and I know any time I go out there and plow and sow seed and fertilize, I hope the rain comes because I certainly want an abundant crop. But let's go to John chapter 15 and start with verse 8 and read verse 8, and let's see what the Scripture says here. Verse 8, it says, My true disciples produce a bountiful harvest, and this brings great glory to my Father. Just think, his true disciples, hmm, they produce bountiful harvest. So if you want to be a true disciple of the Lord, then you're going to have to be out there producing a bountiful harvest. Now, what happens if you do not bear fruit? And what happens if you do bear fruit? Now, I know many Christians that don't bear any fruit, and I know Christians that bear all kinds of fruit. Well, let's go to John chapter 15, verse 2, and let's see what the Lord says happens to those that bear fruit and those that do not bear fruit. In John 15, 2, the Lord says, Every branch in me, Jesus, that does not bear fruit, he takes away or he cuts off, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, think about what that just said. If you are a Christian and you're not about the Lord's work, he will give you so many years, and only he knows what that is, to do what he told you to do. If you bear no fruit, he will cut you off. In other words, what I'm trying to say, you will die on this earth prematurely and you will come home to heaven. You will not be able to enjoy the long life that you were supposed to because you did not bear fruit. Now, he will not let you stay here if you're not fruitful because he says in the last part of this verse, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So when we go out there and start producing fruit, he will train us and teach us and he will put us through trials and tests 
to train and teach us how to be more fruitful because that's what this wonderful farmer is waiting for. He's waiting for the harvest of the earth, which is souls. Now, how do you bear this fruit? John 15, 4 says, Take care to live in me, and let me live in you. For a branch can't produce fruit when severed from the vine, nor can you be fruitful apart from me. Yes, I am the vine, Jesus said, and you are the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him shall produce a large crop of fruit. For apart from me, you can't do a thing. Now that's pretty clear, isn't it? So how do we bear this great crop of fruit? We must abide in the vine, which is Jesus. And what does it mean to you to abide in the vine and for him to abide in you? Well, let's go on here and see what Paul had to say about this. Now, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul tells us how to do this. He said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the real life I now have within this body is a result of my trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who do you belong to anyway? I hear lots of Christians say, it is my life, and I will do what I want to do with it. Is that really true? I don't think so. People do not realize that we are not our own. We are not here to do our own thing. We belong to him if we're his children. I want to confirm that in 1 Corinthians 6, starting with verse 20. I want you to hear what the Lord says to us. For God has bought you with a great price. So use every part of your body to give glory back to God because he owns you. Now, what was that great price that Jesus paid for us? It was his death, burial, and resurrection and that tremendous beating with all those stripes and taking upon himself all the sin and all the sickness and disease, he bore all those things for you. That was a great price that the king of kings had to pay. To think that the king of kings came from heaven. He left this magnificent place of glory where he was Lord and came down to this earth and was born of a woman so he could defeat the enemy, Satan. And so by doing that, then... He paid this great price so that you and I could come over into his kingdom and be his. So when we come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, we are no longer our own. We belong to him because we were bought with a tremendous price. In other words, it was impossible for us to have paid that price. There's no way we could have done it, so he did it. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23, it says, you have been bought and paid for by Christ, so you belong to him. Be free now from all these earthly prides and fears. Now, isn't that awesome? In 1 Corinthians 6.20 and 1 Corinthians 7.23, both these great scriptures tell us that we're not our own. 
but that we've been bought and paid for by Christ. We belong to Him. The key to producing fruit is the seed. No field can grow without seed. So what is this seed that we have to sow? Now in Matthew chapter 13, the Lord gives us an awesome parable here. In Matthew 13, 3, the Lord says, Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured these seed. And some seed fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some of the seed fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked the seed. But other seed fell on good ground, and it yielded a crop. Some seed yielded a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. In verse 9, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given to them. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. This is very, very important. Starting in verse 19, there's some very, very important truths in the next few verses about this seed and what happens to this seed when it's sown. Starting in verse 19, our Lord says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom. Now think about that. That's any of us. When any of us hears the word of the kingdom or the word of God and does not understand it, then the wicked one, which is Satan, comes and snatches away that that was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. Now that is so important. Lock on to this. You need to learn how to prevent Satan from snatching the seed away from you because the seed is the word of God. 
But when you try to sow that in your heart, if you don't fully understand it, Satan can come immediately and steal the seed out of your heart. Then verse 20 says, But he who receives the seed on stony places, this is the person who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but he endures only for a little while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word or the seed, immediately he stumbles. Think about that. Whenever tribulations or persecution, somebody begins to uh, persecute you or cause problems about the word and saying, hey, you're, are you one of them lousy Christians or something like that? And if you're not well grounded, you will fall away because you will want to become one of the guys. And that's the person the Lord's talking about here. But in verse 22, now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Now, boys, there are lots of those kind of Christians out there. Whenever you receive that seed and the cares of this world, in other words, you've got to have another car, you've got to have a better house, uh, you've got to have more riches, you've got to have a bigger boat, so you've got to work hard, you don't have time for God, so you don't produce any fruit. You become unfruitful. But verse 23 says, But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces fruit. Some will produce a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now that's the person that you and I need to be. We need to hear the word. We need to go out and do what the Lord told us to do and produce fruit. Now then, why is it so important to keep the seed, which is the Word of God, sown in your heart? Well, let's go back again. The Word of God is the most awesome commentary on the Word of God that anything I've ever seen. So let's go back to Proverbs 4 and start with verse 20. And the Lord says, My son, give attention to my words, which is the seed. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. You know, you have to continue to meditate on God's Word. You cannot just read it on Sunday and build your treasures in heaven. You must stay in the Word. You must keep the seed watered and fertilized by staying in contact with the Lord. But this is very important in Proverbs 4. If we meditate on God's Word, we hide it in our heart, we meditate on it and do what He says, He said it, these words are the seed. They are actually life, or long, healthy life to those that find them, and health to all of our flesh. Now that's where all of us want to live. We want to have a long, good life, and we want to have a healthy life. The answer is in the Word of God. How to do that? To hide God's Word in your heart. Now, how many people spend their entire life working for themselves and their family? And some of these people will build a great empire here on earth. 
but they will do very little for God's kingdom. Now let's see what the Lord had to say about this kind of person. Let's go over to Luke chapter 12, verse 15, and let's see what the Lord says here. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Listen to that. We think, boy, if we got an abundance of things and we got everything, you know, that we've got everything, we've got life. But that's not what the Lord says. He says, Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. Now, this is a man, an earthly man, a man that had, it looks like he was very fruitful. Uh, he had uh, had everything. So, let's go on here in Luke twelve seventeen. And this man thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? Just think. He could have went out and shared those with people and helped people and helped the poor and the needy. But no, he's not going to do it. So in verse 18, so he said, I will do this. I will put down my barns. I will pull down my barns and I will build greater barns. And there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Isn't that awesome what this man had done? He had went out and worked. And then he was going to tear down his barns and build big ones. And he was going to fill them up with all these things. And then he was going to step back and kick back. And he was going to take life easy and live lots of good years, just sit back and do nothing. But the Lord called this man a fool. He had not been rich toward God. Now in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 the Lord told us, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it's very easy to find out where your treasure is, where your heart is. It's easy because if your heart, if all you're doing is doing things to build bigger and better things for yourself and not to help others, it's easy to understand where your treasure is. You're not building them in heaven. Do you think it is wrong to strive to lay up rewards for yourself in heaven? I believe the more you understand the judgment seat of Christ, the more good works you will want to do. I believe that we should all be striving to have every crown and every reward so that we can have great, great rewards when we get to heaven. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 32 and on, it says, But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? 
for even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not. And you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Then this is a powerful verse in verse Luke 6:38. The Lord says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, from the world standards, that don't make any sense at all. But this is the kingdom of God we're talking about. And since the Lord is in control of this kingdom, he tells us to give. And if we will, it will be given back to us. Now, there's no doubt in my mind, the more we understand the judgment, the more good deeds we will want to do for other people. There's just absolutely no two ways about it. Now, <clears throat> there's a tremendous uh, story here uh, in Luke chapter 14, verse 12, 13 and 14. Uh, very few people believe this or know this, or at least we don't act like we do. In verse 12 of Luke 14, the Lord told us, Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Isn't that awesome? To think when we do those things, we are building our rewards in heaven, and we will receive that reward at the resurrection of the believers or the just. What are we to command others to do in this realm? In 1 Timothy 6, starting with verse 17, the Lord told us, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold of eternal life. Now, just think about that. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, he didn't say, do these things if you want to. He said, I command. He says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. We are to command them. Now, sometimes people think you're arrogant when you do these kind of things, but you're just doing what the Lord says. We are to command people that are rich in this present age not to be haughty, 
or nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. We're not to store up for ourselves things on this earth, but we're to store up a good foundation for the time to come that we may lay hold on eternal life. The judgment seat of Christ is only for the believing Christian. Since the punishment we deserve has already been paid by Christ, the judgment seat will not be to judge sin. It will be to pass out the rewards we have earned while we're here in the body, here on the earth. Now, on the other hand, the great white throne judgment, which is a different judgment, the great white throne. Many people get these two judgments mixed up. But the judgment seat of Christ will be for the Christians, and the great white throne will be for the lost. The great white throne judgment mentioned in the book of Revelations is for the lost people. So let's see what the Bible says will happen to those that did not receive Christ while they were here on this earth. Let's, let's go over here now in Revelations chapter 20, verse 11. And let's see what this says. This is devastating when you look at this. And I saw a great white throne, and the one who sat upon it, from whose face the earth and sky fled away, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both the great and the small, standing before God. And the books were opened, the book of works, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the things written in the books, each according to the deeds he had done. The oceans surrendered the bodies buried in them, and the earth and the underworld gave up the dead in them. Each was judged according to his deeds, and death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found recorded in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, do you think everyone will receive the same punishment in the lake of fire? It is very clear from the scriptures not all will receive the same rewards in heaven. So let's see what the Bible says about the place of punishment, the lake of fire or hell. Now, the lake of fire or hell has not been opened at this time. Right now, all those that die without Jesus go to Gehenna, or the place of torment, in the center of the earth. And they will stay there until one day when the lake of fire or hell will be opened. Because the Antichrist and the false prophet were the first two that were cast into the lake of fire. Now, let's go to Ecclesiastes 12:14. And let's see what that says there. It says, For God will judge us for everything we do, including every hidden thing, both good or bad. And then is Isaiah 3, verse 11. But say to the wicked, Your doom is sure. You too shall get your just rewards. Your well-earned punishment is on the way. Isaiah 59, 18. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will repay recompense. And then in Isaiah 65, 6 and 7, See, 
Here is my decree all written out before me. I will not stand silent. I will repay. Yes, I will repay them. Not only for their own sins, but for those of their fathers too, says the Lord. For they also burned incense on the mountains and insulted me upon the hills, and I will pay them back in full. Now think about that. Just as there are decrees of rewards in heaven for the saved, there are degrees of punishment for the lost. You know, you just have to let the Word of God speak for itself. You have to take this book literally. This book is not difficult to understand. If you just read this book literally, you will understand it. Let's go on here to Matthew eleven twenty-three, And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, you shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you, there shall be more tolerance for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And in Matthew 10:15, Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Isn't that awesome? That the people that absolutely refuse to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, the devastation is going to be terrible. In fact, we'll read on here in Luke chapter 20, verse 46. The Lord says, Beware of the scribes, which desire to walk in long robes and love greeting in the markets and the high seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feast, which devour widows' houses and for a show make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. Think about that. He's talking about scribes and Pharisees. These are men supposedly of God. But these men devoured widows' houses. Whenever they couldn't pay, they could, these women couldn't pay their uh, leases or their rents or whatever. These men devoured them. They showed no mercy, no compassion. And because they had shows of long prayers, making people think they were righteous and holier than thou, the Lord says the same shall receive a greater damnation. That's awesome. In Matthew 18, verse 6, he says, But any of you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to lose his faith, it would be better for you to have a rock tied to your neck and be thrown into the sea. Woe upon the world for all its evils. Temptation to do wrong is inevitable. But woe to the man who does the tempting. So if your hand or your foot causes you to sin... Cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter heaven crippled than to be in hell with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Because it's better to enter heaven with one eye than to be in hell with two eyes. Think about that. The Lord is telling us that he is trying to get our attention. We are to serve him. Matthew 23, 12. But those who think themselves great shall be disappointed and humbled. And those who humble themselves shall be exalted. So which way is best to humble yourself or to be great and exalted? He says the best thing to do is humble yourself and he will exalt you. Because he says, woe to you Pharisees 
and you other religious leaders, you hypocrites, for you won't let others enter the kingdom of heaven and won't go in yourselves. And you pretend to be holy with all your long public prayers in the streets while you are evicting widows from their homes, you hypocrites. Yes, woe upon you hypocrites, for you go to all lengths to make one convert, and then you turn him into twice the son of hell that you are yourselves. You know, if we rely on our own goodness to get to heaven, we will never get there. Let's see what the Word says about our righteousness. Now, in Isaiah 64, 6, he says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So there's not anything we can do to become righteous. But let's see, but because God is so great in mercy, let's look at what he has done for us through his son Jesus. Now then, sure, our righteousness are as filthy rags in the sight of the Lord. But let's go see what we are now. And this is where lots of Christians miss it because they see themselves as filthy rags. And not that's not true once we become a new creature in Christ. So let's come to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and let's start here at verse 17 and let's see what the Lord says here. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, Therefore, if any man, now that's any man, any woman, be in Christ, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ that be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him, Jesus, for God hath made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Wow. Just think. Now, once, while we were yet sinners, our righteousness was as filthy rags. The best we could do was as filthy rags before the Lord. But when we come to Jesus and we get saved, because he was perfect and because of his blood and his blood washed away and cleansed all of our sins, we are no longer that old, unrighteous, unholy sinner. We are now, we have now been made the righteousness of God in Christ because of what Jesus did for us. And he has not remembered our trespasses anymore in fact, he has given us the message of reconciliation and we are to go out and tell other people that the Lord is not holding their sins against them. He's not even remembering them and that if they will come to Jesus and make him their Lord and Savior, they can be immediately saved, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit and be made brand new, a new creature and they can be just as righteous as you and I are. Praise the Lord. 
we definitely need to be about doing that. The reason we need to be about doing that and be ready because one day and one day soon the judge, the king of the universe, Jesus, is coming again. Now personally, I don't think that's very far in the future. I think we are so close to the Lord's return it's absolutely it's absolutely astounding when you think how close that return could be. Now, it could be any time. So I think we should be ready. We should be striving for these rewards so that when we stand before our Lord, which has paid such a great and awesome price for us, that he can look us in the eye and put his arm on our shoulder and say, Well done, faithful servant. Come in to the joy of the Lord. Now we need to be doing these things. Now in Matthew chapter 16 verse 27 the Lord says, For I the Son of Mankind shall come with my angels in the glory of my Father and I will judge each person according to his deeds. Now you couldn't be any clearer than what he just said in that verse in Matthew 16:27. For Jesus the Son of Man he is going to come with all of his angels, one day he's going to bust that eastern sky wide open and here he's going to be and then you and I are going to stand before the judge and he's going to judge each one of us according to all the things that we have done here on this earth. So we need to be ready. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, he says, So be careful not to jump to conclusions before the Lord returns as to whether someone is a good servant or not. You really can't tell who is the best kind of people because you don't know most people. It says, when the Lord comes, he will turn on the light so that everyone can see exactly what each one of us is really like. Deep down in our hearts, then everyone will know why we have been doing the Lord's work. At that time, God will give to each one whatever praise is coming to him. And we should all be striving to have a lot of praise coming from our Lord. Now in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, it says, And may the Lord make your love to grow and overflow to each other and to everyone else, just as our love does toward you. Now, this will result in your hearts being made strong, sinless, and holy by God, our Father, so that you may stand before him guiltless on that day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns with all those who belong to him. Now, what did he say we had to do? The Lord make our love grow and overflow to each other. You know, our love should flow toward each one. And if we, if we will walk in love, this will result in our hearts being made strong and sinless. So that when the Lord returns, we will be guiltless when we stand before him. So let's not let Satan steal our rewards from us. Let's be about the Lord's business and let's run this race here on earth in faith. Let's make ourselves ready for that day in Revelations 19 when he's coming. Let's see what he says here in Revelations 19, starting with verse 6. Then I heard again what sounded like the shouting of a huge crowd or like the waves of a hundred oceans crashing on the shores 
or like the mighty rolling of great thunder. Can you imagine that scene? Praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and honor Him. For the time has come for the wedding banquet of the Lamb. And His bride has prepared herself. She is permitted to wear the cleanest and the whitest and finest of linings. Because the fine linen represents the good deeds done by the people of God. So let's make sure that we are one of those that has on that fine linen. At this time, the Lord will look at our lives and he will be looking for the fruits of Christ's righteousness. Just like he said in Philippians 1.9, My prayer for you is that you will overflow more and more with love for others. And at the same time, keep on growing in spiritual knowledge and insight. For I want you always to see clearly the difference between right and wrong and to be inwardly clean, no one being able to criticize you from now until our Lord returns. May you always be doing those good, kind things that show you are a child of God. For this will bring much praise and glory to the Lord. We should absolutely be doing all these good and kind and wonderful things to all people. Because if we are doing those good, kind things, that literally shows that we're God's people. And this also will bring much praise and glory to the Lord. Now, I realize the devil is going to get in there and do everything he can to get you to have a grudge or an unforgiveness toward a brother or a sister so that he will have the right to stand between you and God and accuse you of sin so your prayers will not be answered because that's what that beast come to do. He come to kill, steal, and to destroy. So whatever you do, do what the Lord says. Walk in love. You know, share the gospel with people. Be kind and gentle. And this will bring much praise and glory to the Lord. People will say, there is a man of God or there is a woman of God. That person really loves Jesus. You can tell by what they do. Now, this, one, this following scripture here tells you who you are following. Now, the Spirit of God or your flesh. So be sure to be led by the Spirit of God. Now, when you read these scriptures, this is a devastating set of scriptures, the first parts of these. Now, the last part are wonderful, but this will absolutely tell you where you're living. Are you living in the flesh? Are you being led by the Spirit of God? Now, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 26, reads, but when you follow your own wrong inclinations, your lives will produce these evil results. Number one, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, spiritism, that is, encouraging the activity of demons, hatred and fighting, Jealousy and anger. Constant effort to get the best for yourself. Complaints about everything. Criticizing people. 
the feeling that everyone else is wrong and except those in your own little group and there will be wrong doctrine. You won't be able to satisfy people. There will be envy. There will be murder. There will be drunkenness. There will be wild parties and all that sort of thing that will go on in your life. Now let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's kind of awesome, isn't it? Now when we stop and think about these things, everybody that lives in this realm will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the word of God, folks. This is the way you can tell those that are spirit controlled by the spirit and those that are controlled by their own wrong inclinations or their own evil desires of the flesh. That's the way they will live. But in Galatians 5.22, we start off here, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives. Now look at the contrast of these next few scriptures. The Holy Spirit will produce this kind of fruit in us. Now this is the kind of fruit that we will produce. Number one, love. We will love everybody. We'll have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts for all people. Then number two, we will have joy. Then peace. We'll have peace with people. We will be able to be patient. We'll have kindness. We'll have goodness. We'll have faithfulness. We'll have gentleness and self-control. We will be in control of ourselves. We won't go off on all these wild tangents. And here, if you live led by the Holy Spirit and He controls you, then there is no conflict with Jewish laws because those who belong to Christ have nailed their natural evil desires to His cross and crucified them there. Now, if we are living now by the Holy Spirit's power, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Then, we won't need to look for honors and popularity which lead to jealousy and hard feelings. In other words, when you realize that you're doing what you're doing for the Lord, it does not make any difference what anybody thinks about you, whether they try to offend you, or they, they try to speak evil to you, or whatever they try to do, you will respond in an attitude of love and grace and mercy. And only with much prayer and much study of the Word of God will you be able to do this. This is absolutely not something you can do easy. It takes lots of praying, lots of reading, and lots of studying of the Word of God to be able to do these things. But if you will yield your life to the Holy Spirit, you will be able to do these things. And then, when you stand before the Lord one day at the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, you will receive these mighty rewards. Now, I used to wonder, why in the world would I want to receive all these rewards? What am I going to do with these rewards when I get to heaven? What in the world am I going to do with rewards in heaven? When I get there and I have everything, 
I won't be able to put on five crowns and walk around. What will I do with all of these rewards? Now, these crowns and, that we have observed, as I wondered what I would do with these crowns, over here in Revelations chapter 4, verses 10, one day I was reading here, and I saw where that, in this great and awesome scene, where the 24 elders fell down before him and worshipped him, the eternal living one, which was Jesus, and they cast their crowns before the throne, singing, O Lord, you are worthy to receive the glory and the honor and the power, for you have created all things. They were created and called into being by your act of will. When I read that, I thought, you know, I want to obtain every reward I possibly can. I want to diligently study the Word of God. I want to be an obedient son. I want to serve the King. I want to do what He says. I want to win many people into the kingdom of God. I want to get many people healed and delivered. I want to learn this Word. I want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to obtain every reward of every kind that I possibly can. I want to do everything I can while I'm here on this earth because I don't want to be a street sweeper in heaven. I want to be as far up as I can because the more crowns and rewards I will get, I will be able to stand before my king someday and I will be able to be just like these 24 elders. I will fall on my face before my Lord and I will lay my crowns and my rewards before him and say, Lord, only you were worthy to have these because I was only able to do the things I'd done on the earth because of what you done for me on that cross. And I want to praise you and thank you and worship you, Lord, as I give back all the rewards that I earned on this earth I want to give them to you because only you are worthy to be worshipped and praised. And so therefore I think about this magnificent scene in heaven one day, when that day comes, when we will all bow before the Lord, when we see him. And as he comes around and literally passes out rewards and gives us things and rewards us for what we've done for him here on this earth. Goodness, whatever you do, work hard for the Lord so that one day when the judgment seat of Christ comes, you will be able to obtain many rewards and many crowns so you will have something to give back to the King for what he done for you. Praise the name of Jesus.